invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 9. Page 968 in these Bibles in the pews. As you're doing so, I want to remind you that we've made <clears throat> these available, these devotional guides from Ligonier Table Talk. This is the October edition on the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. There are copies over on that table to my left. I think there's some in the entrance and scattered around the building. We want you to take those for free. Uh, hopefully that not only you'll use it for the remainder of this month, but also that you might subscribe to it as a use for a daily Bible reading guide and devotional guide five days a week. Let me give you the context before I read uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through following. The Apostle Paul made three long journeys around the Mediterranean, planting churches and training leaders. And on his third journey, on his third travels, he also had a project that he had been working on for over a year, and that was to take up a relief offering, kind of like what we're doing now for those who've been affected by hurricanes and so forth. But the offering was for Christians back in the city of Jerusalem because as they came to be followers of Christ, often they were cut off from their families, they lost their jobs, and many were destitute because of that, uh, somewhat like some people being persecuted today. So the Apostle Paul saw it not only as an opportunity to help relieve their suffering by taking up an offering from the other churches, but also as a way to bring unity between the Gentile believers, like those at Corinth, and the Jewish believers, those that were in need back in Jerusalem. So a number of churches had given, and the Corinthian church had promised to give a year earlier, but they'd not fulfilled their promise. So in this passage, Paul is urging them to fulfill their promise they had made to give toward this offering to help their Christians and brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Now, they were not destitute. Corinth was known as a, a large city with a certain level of wealth, and so these, these people in the church probably had sufficient income, and, and they could be generous with others. But what I want you to notice when we get into this is the tone. It's a very gentle tone that Paul writes. Now, if, if you've been with us as we've been studying through 1 Corinthians over the past year, off and on. Sometimes his tone is rather strict. He rebukes them for practices that are being allowed to go on in the church or the, the pettiness of the divisions that have taken place there. I mean, he, I made the comment, nobody laughed, that it's kind of like Nick Saban at a press conference. You know, that's how some of those sounded at, at, in, in 1 Corinthians. But now when we get to this area about giving and money, he's not um, bombastic at all. He, he's, he's very gentle, and he's giving them the, the reasons, the theological reasons and the personal reasons, having experienced God's grace, why giving makes sense and generosity makes sense. Okay, that's the context. Now I'll begin reading in verse 6 through the end of the chapter, of chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, 
not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray together. Oh God, you are a giving God. That is your nature. We pray that we might reflect that through our giving, through our generosity toward others. Help us to live for those things that are ultimate and not just expedient. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. At the end of the service today, during the closing hymn, we have a time where our members can come and commit themselves afresh to this ministry by turning in pledge cards for the next year. I'll say more about that later. Two books, though I've read many, two that have really affected me and shaped my thinking in the area of money and possessions and stewardship as a believer is a very brief book by Randy Alcorn called The Treasure Principle and another one by Wesley Wilmer with a funny title, God and Your Stuff. But those two books, uh, you will hear parts of those books in, in, in this message. Several years ago, this church sent me along with some other pastors with our denomination to visit some of our missionaries in Eastern Europe. And before that trip, the leader of our team urged us to read some books to give us better understanding of some of the places we were going to visit. So in preparation of visiting one country, Poland, we were to read Schindler's List. And at the end of the book, uh, and the movie if you saw it, there's a very heart-wrenching scene in which this main character, Oskar Schindler, this Polish businessman, the man in Poland who paid out a large personal fortune to spare the lives of many Jews from the Nazis, at this scene at the end, he looks at his nice automobile, and he looks at his gold fountain pen, and as he looks at these, he weeps and he has great remorse, thinking, I should have done more. I didn't give enough. I've got these left over. I could have given these money and possessions to save more lives. And Oscar Schindler had used his opportunity far better than most that we know of, but in the end, he longed to go back and make better choices. Many through history have told us we have one brief opportunity, one lifetime on earth, to use our treasures to make an eternal difference. John Wesley said a lot about money. You heard him quoted earlier today. He said, I judge all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. The missionaries 
C.T. Studd said, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Someone has said, though I don't remember who, that five minutes after you die, you will know exactly how you should have lived. Well, the good news is you don't have to wait to find out that God has given us his word and he's given us his Holy Spirit to empower us to live that way now. And Jesus tells us in Matthew to store up treasure in heaven. Do you dread the thought of leaving this world? Um, Of course, it's natural to dread the thought of leaving our loved ones and so forth, the fear of death. But if the reason is that you've stored up treasures on earth, not in heaven, then that shows that you are living for those things that are just temporal. I love the story of that happened here in Georgia when John Wesley toured the large estate of a plantation owner who had massive amounts of land. They were on horseback and they rode for what felt like hours and still only saw a fraction of this man's property. At the end of the day, they sat down to eat dinner and the plantation owner asked him rather eagerly, well, Mr. Wesley, what do you think? And Wesley replied, I think you're going to have a hard time leaving all of this. When you leave this world, as we all will, will you be known as one who accumulated treasures on earth, which you could not keep? Or will you be recognized as one who invested treasures in heaven that you could not lose? Let's look for a few moments here at this premier passage in the New Testament on the subject of giving and generosity. I've already told you the background that Paul was taking up this offering to help these needy Christians back in Jerusalem and the Corinthians had not fulfilled their promise. And he points out that the reason was that the church was not being spiritually minded. And typically, spirituality brings with it generosity. He knew that giving, the Apostle Paul knew that giving was the work of God's grace in a human heart. You can't force a person to do this. In fact, as is noted here, attitude is very important. I had a person call me this week and said, hey, I've got a visitor I'd like to invite to come to church for the first time, but aren't you preaching on timing? And if so, I don't think I should invite that person. I said, no, it would be the perfect time because I'm going to talk about God's grace. Uh, But uh, it it concerned me, the attitude that this person thought, we're probably going to kind of get beaten during the sermon, aren't we? No, I hope not. That's not the intent. The Lord is here assuring us that the generous giver need not fear being destitute. There's a verse in Proverbs, chapter 11, verse 25, and it says, A generous man will prosper, and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I like the, that was the NIV, I like the ESV. It says, Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. The first person that taught me the Bible that I listened to, many had tried before, was my youth pastor when I was a senior in high school. And he was an excellent scholar and Bible student. And I would go in his office, and what he liked to do when he was studying a passage is he would draw it out. And I walked in one day, and he said, look at this verse. And he had a picture he'd drawn up on this sheet of paper, and it it had a man watering... You see how much gardening I do. What do you call those? (laughs) A water bucket. And he's watering a plant. And then, figuratively, this hand's coming out of heaven with a larger bucket, watering the man. 
But that's what Proverbs is saying. He who waters will himself be watered. That he who is generous with others, God will be generous with that person. Now, this is not the prosperity gospel. This is not saying give $5 and God will give you 10 That's not what it's talking about at all. But Jesus promises that God will meet our needs as we give. He says, give, and this is Luke chapter 6, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. The idea is a bucket. And you put it in and then you press it down and then you shake it together so it goes down some more. He says, we'll be put into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So we do stand to gain by our giving. Though that gain may be in all sorts of forms of God's work in our lives, of, of experiencing his grace. So it is saying, I want to give back to God and his work, trusting that he will meet my needs as I act in faith to obey him. So Paul, to spell that out, begins with a principle in verse 6 that that agricultural Society would easily pick up on, and that's sowing and reaping. Verse 6 says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. All of life is testimony to this principle. The farmer looks out at his fields, and there are no crops. Does he just sit there and complain? No. He goes to work, and he prepares the ground, and he starts to sow seed. And as a farmer, you will always reap in proportion to how much you sow. You may not reap as much as you sow because of lack of rain or other conditions, but you will not reap more than you sow. If you sow seed on five acres, you will not reap a harvest off ten acres. If you sow seed on ten acres, you'll not reap a harvest from fifteen acres. What you sow, you will reap. Now, his point to them and us is the amount of sowing determines the amount of harvest. So the farmer sees sowing as an opportunity. The more I sow, the larger the harvest can be. We should give with the proper attitude. Verse 7, God says our motives are important in our giving. How are we to give? Well, he gives us two negatives. First, not reluctantly. And that is, reluctant, you have to part with it, whatever it is. We're not to give under compulsion. That's, I feel forced to do this. I'm, uh, if I don't, other people will know. I, I'm concerned about what other people think if I don't. Well, both of these attitudes rob giving of its joy, reluctantly or under compulsion. But we should give, or I should give, you should give, as he has decided in his heart as an act of faith. As we grow in Christ, hopefully we grow in the means of grace. We grow in prayer, in our understanding of prayer, in our practice of prayer, in our maturity in prayer. We grow in our understanding and application of God's Word. We should grow in obedience. We should grow in wisdom. And we should grow in discernment how we give. That we become wiser where we give, how much we give, when we give, whether it's anonymous or not. All these things, I think, come with Christian growth. Well, here are some helps taken from the passage indirectly that deal with being a cheerful giver. 
I base this one on verse 7. You'll become a cheerful giver by realizing that generous giving helps you to experience God's love. Each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Why would God love that? Because we imitate God at that point. God is a giving God. God is generous. Of course, we know from John 3.16 that he gave his only begotten son. But you go all the way back to the beginning of the scriptures. He gave the creation. He gave life to Adam. He gave Eve to be a helper to him. He gave them the covenant relationship of marriage. He gave them food and clothes and children. So we reflect his character when we give. We bring pleasure to him by giving cheerfully. One of the few memories I have as a young child going to church was sitting in church, I guess I was in kindergarten, (coughs) with my father. My mother was in the choir, so I was sitting with my father and my sister. And he would give me two things. I don't even know if they still sell these, but you know what certs are? You know the bread, do they still sell them? breath mints. He always had a roll of those in his pocket. And so he would, during the, when he'd see me all fidgety, he'd reach over, he'd peel the foil back, and he'd hold a cert out for me to get. Then, before the offering, he'd give me a coin to put in the offering plate, a dime or a quarter, made of real silver back then, by the way. And he would give me one of those, and the offering plate would come by, and I would drop it in. Later on, many years later, I got to remind him, rethinking that, and I thought, that's, that's really not a good way to teach a child to give. I mean, I wasn't sacrificing anything. I should have been giving money I was making. I don't even know if I had an allowance then, but that's... But then I thought more about it. I thought, you know, that it really isn't a bad way. That is a perfect example of how to give. My father gives to me, then I give to others. My father gives to me, my heavenly father, then I give to others. Second helps on cheerful giving in verse 8 is you'll be a more cheerful giver by realizing generous giving opens the windows of God's blessing. When he says God is able, listen to the number of times it says all. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. Not just some of these things, not just some of the time, but all of the time. So he's reassuring these Corinthian believers who apparently were skeptical whether God would meet their need if they gave generously to others. He is saying God is trustworthy. God is able to resupply what you need to take care of you. All of our resources ultimately come to God, and he is able to increase those resources. He says you will abound in every good work, not every possible good work, but the good work that God has ordained for us to do. Third, you and I can grow to be cheerful givers by realizing generous giving brings about spiritual blessings to the giver. I drew that from verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed, for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. It doesn't say increase the harvest of your bank account, but there's spiritual blessings that come from generous giving. So I don't believe in the prosperity gospel, but I believe in what's called a reciprocal blessing. 
as we bless others, God blesses us. It's not a deal we make, but there's, there are invisible and unseen blessings that come our way that, that are a result of that, that God chooses to do. He will supply seed, bread, and enlarge the harvest of our righteousness. He will multiply what we have. There will always be spiritual and material bread for the eating and seed for the sowing. And Paul says this was certain, was certain. Paul wasn't a wealthy man. He may probably came from wealth given his education, but at this time in his life, I, I mean, he would, he, sometimes he would work as a tent maker to support himself for philosophical and relational reasons, but also monetarily. It's not like he was rich. And, and was not living these very same things. And it's fascinating to me, in 1 Timothy, we have Paul writing to Timothy, who was a pastor in the city of Ephesus. And he's giving Timothy instruction on how Timothy should instruct people in the church. And one area he was to instruct them on was about giving. He had particular instructions for the rich and particular instructions for the poor. Now, here's what Paul told Timothy to tell the rich. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. It's easy to be arrogant when you have a lot and to look down on others and think, well, if they just got a job or a better job or if they just knew what they were doing in business, they could live like this too. And so Paul says, tell them not to be rich and not to put their hope in wealth. That's the other thing with riches. It gives us a false sense of security. And he says, those are so uncertain. But tell them to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So those of us with a surplus, which to some level is true for all of us in this place at this time in history, we're to be gener- willing to share. We're to be generous and willing to share. So when you or I get an extra $10 or $50 or $100 or $1,000 and you weren't expecting it and it comes your way, Do we immediately think, do I immediately think, oh, great, I've got this extra money, I can now buy what I want, which is, or do I think, well, why has God given this to me? What is his will on how this is used? I would hope as we grow in Christ, if you're not there already, that your default setting would be, why has God given this? And is this for an opportunity that I've not yet seen? Maybe I have seen it. In other words, are you, Christian, predisposed to give? Have you decided in advance how you will give when you experience great increases and windfalls in unexpected income? I've told this to college students through the years, and I'd say it now to those here that may be in middle school or high school or college even though you probably won't believe it right now, there may come a time in the future when the Lord will entrust to you very large sums of money. And I urge you, decide now how you will use that. Will you be a generous giver or not? 
because we all have the propensity to spend up and beyond the level of our income. So if we don't decide in advance, my roommate in college was a very committed Christian. Before he became a Christian, he had one of two goals growing up, President of the United States or Supreme Court Justice. That gives you the level of what he thought of his own abilities and what his aspirations were. Well, he eventually became the president of a a company that was a national company in construction where what I just said was true of him. Huge sums of money at his disposal. And he had told me years earlier, he had said, I have no problem about making a lot of money. My, My issue is raising a standard of living to match that income. He said, I want to cap my standard of living. And so that when more comes, it can be freed up to use for other purposes. What a rare perspective. This is from a guy one year out of college when he he told me a few, it was right, right after grad school. Moving on. Fourth, your giving will be cheerful by realizing generous giving multiplies praise and thanks to God. This is my favorite part of the whole passage. Verses 11 and 12. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in your, to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. What did he mean? Specifically, you give to this offering, it's going back to your suffering brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, and the result will be not that they'll say, oh, aren't the Corinthians great, and aren't they generous? No, they're going to give thanks to God. You're going to multiply praise to God and you're going to multiply thanksgiving to God. That's what happens when we give wisely that lives are changed and we multiply worshipers. Now, I want to say something that that will sound heretical at first, but hopefully you'll get used to it. And that is from a human standpoint, just from the human standpoint, if you are a Christian here today it is probably because someone at some time gave money. I'm strictly speaking from the human standpoint, not talking about the Holy Spirit, God's call on your life, or anything like that. But if you're a Christian here today, it's probably because someone, at some time, someone gave some money. For example, for me, I referred to a youth pastor. He had a huge influence on my life. Who paid his salary? which I didn't even think about at the time, the people of that church to allow him to spend time with me. When my primary Christian growth was through a ministry campus called Campus Crusade for Christ at the time when I was in middle school and high school, I never gave one single thought to the people who were paying the support of these staff workers that had given donations for the literature that they were giving to people like me who through their support was renting the facility that became the place where we met see so if you are a Christian it is probably because someone at some time in some place gave money this past Thursday night at the Strong Tower banquet many of you were there we heard some testimonies and there was a young man named Jerome who from all indication been introduced to Christ, not just the church, through the ministry of Strong Tower. 
We heard from an older woman named Arlene and how much that ministry has meant to her. Tom Anderson, after uh, he got that going back in 2010, said, you know, at First Pres, y'all ought to take the number of people that are gathered at Strong Tower Fellowship on Sunday mornings and include those with your attendance because this ministry would not be in existence were it not for the giving from First Presbyterian Church. So I was sitting there as I hear these testimonies, and I'm thinking, that is exactly what Paul meant. Through our generosity, praise and thanksgiving is multiplied to God. We are increasing the number of those who follow Christ. Years ago, I had the privilege to lead a young adult named Bill to Christ. He was from Chicago, and he had come to a southern university to study, and he married a young woman that he met in college. Uh, they had a strong Christian marriage. They had several children. And the last time I spoke to him on the phone a few years ago, they were helping to start a PCA church in Michigan. And that happened, humanly speaking, because somebody gave some money that allowed me to spend time doing that ministry where he was one of the guys that came to know Christ. Churches and individuals gave, and it multiplied praise and thanks to God. We also seek to leverage our giving. More bang for the buck. A few years ago, one of our missionaries that was here mentioned when we asked her what her needs were. She was with Wycliffe Bible Translators serving in that dangerous area of the Sudan in North Africa. And she said they had spent years and had translated a language called the Shilluk language. But they needed the money, now that they were finished with the translation, they needed the money to have the Bibles printed by a company in South Korea. And we found out the amount, I said, how much? She said, $80,000. So people in this church gave $80,000 over the next few days. And though it took a while, here's that Bible. This is a Shillet Bible, and that language is spoken, by my research, by 175,000 people who now, for the first time in their lives, have a Bible in their language, which I can't read a word of, and the letters look rather strange, because you gave some money. You get it? it? Paul wants us to see generosity translated into changed lives and to see it not just as giving as an end in itself and what it can do for me, but that we're multiplying worshipers. That's why John Piper in his book, which is based on this, centered around this whole principle, let the nations be glad, says that the end we should have in mind is not the giving itself, yet the praise and thanks to God that is multiplied through our giving. So he says in that book, worship therefore is the fuel and goal in missions. Let the peoples praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. I want to close in prayer, and then we will uh, stand and sing the church's one foundation. And if you're a church member and you're prepared to turn in one of those commitment cards, uh, there's a box to my left, there's one in front of me, there's one to, to my right, to my left, your, your left and right. Just walk up during the hymn and, and place that in there. Let me lead us in prayer.
Father, we are recipients because you are a giving God. That is your nature. You're a generous God, and you've showered your blessings down upon us in every form, physically, spiritually. We pray that we would be wise stewards, that we would be people that give out of faith and trust and not reluctantly or under compulsion. And we ask that we might play a part in seeing worshipers multiplied and thanksgiving multiplied through that giving. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. It's printed in your worship folder, The Church's One Foundation. The church is one foundation is Jesus Christ Part with the blessing of God. Now may grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
You're always welcome to join us by going to class. Thank you. Thank you.